0: God has a plan. Everything happens for a reason. You've probably heard those phrases at some point. God has a plan. Everything happens for a reason. You've probably heard them, maybe you've even said them at some point. They're catchy little phrases. At some time points, they're kind of nice phrases to hear. They're encouraging phrases, everything happens for a reason, God has a plan. They're really not that fabulous, though, when you're burying one of your children. They're really not that nice of sayings when you're getting bad news from a doctor that you're going to be living with a physical ailment for some time. The sayings really do nothing when you're burying a parent prematurely. Everything happens for a reason. Well, what reason could there possibly be for my loved one to have to go early like this? What possible plan could there be that God has that would cause me to have to live with this pain? What kind of God would put together a plan like that, which would require young children under the age of five to die because of malnutrition? What kind of reason would there be for a person to have to live with a deformity their whole life? Tough stuff. Suffering and pain. Suffering and pain is really only an arm's length away from all of us. All of us maybe personally or at least within our inner circles have had some type of suffering and pain in our life some type of difficulty where something happened to us or among us or close to us that wasn't supposed to happen. Something happened that took life away, that didn't allow us to enjoy life like maybe those around us are enjoying it. Suffering and pain is routine in our society. It happens continually. Well, what do we do in the midst of suffering? Suffering. And pain. How do we keep joy in the midst of pain? How about does God give us more than we can handle? And as one elementary child asked from our group, "What do I do to help my family with the loss of our mother?" Suffering and pain is is real. It's constant. It's continuous. So what does God's word say to us? about suffering and pain. Oftentimes, oftentimes, suffering and pain becomes a roadblock to a joyful life. And it makes sense, doesn't it? That when something bad happens, it robs us of joy? I mean, logically, that, that makes sense, that we would lose some joy when something bad happens. But suffering and pain oftentimes also serves as a roadblock to God. I mean, something bad happens... Who would want to go to God if God allowed that something bad to happen or if God caused that something bad to happen? Who wants to love a God like that? Offering times, suffering and pain becomes a roadblock. Well, should suffering and pain be a roadblock? To understand that, we've got to dig in a little bit and see what does the Bible say about suffering and pain and how do we understand God? What what kind of image do we have of God when we think of suffering and pain? Oftentimes we've got two vast different images of God. One image of God is that God created the world and then set it into motion and then stepped back. And as God set it into motion and stepped back, He's hands off and stuff's going to happen. Another view of God is that God created the world and it's like we're a little Legoland. Down here. And God is moving all of the little Lego pieces together. That when something happens, it's God that moved that piece. God's building that wall. God's moving that person. God's causing that. So, in a sense, we're like little robots for this creator. Well, what's the Bible say? What image should we have of God? If you have a Bible with you, we're going to be looking at a variety of different passages this morning. I invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 10 to get us started. Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew 10, verse 26, Jesus is talking to his apostles. The apostles are starting to come under some persecution. The religious leaders aren't happy. Not only that, but the government leaders aren't happy. And they're starting to to put the chains, the ropes on the people and and tighten the grip a little bit and say, Hey, you can't believe all this stuff. You can't follow this guy. And if you do, we're going to cause pain in your life. So, So Jesus talks to his followers and he says this, Matthew 10, 26. but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. God gives a warning, says, hey, don't fear people out there. Who you need to fear is me. God's saying, hey, fear me. I'm the one that's got complete authority here. I'm the one that can cause serious damage. At the same time as getting a warning then, Jesus gives some comfort. He says, hey, you know sparrows? Sparrows, those things that have no value, I mean, Two of them are sold for a penny. They have no value. Yet these things that have no value, guess what? he says here, the father knows when one falls. Very specifically, he says, look with me if you would, verse 29, and not one of them, not one sparrow, will fall to the ground apart from your father. So these birds that are worthless, not one falls to the ground apart from your father? This raises all sorts of questions. Well, does the father cause the sparrow to fall? Or is the father simply aware that the sparrow is falling? Now, throughout the history of Christianity and today in Christianity, there's different positions here on understanding. Did God cause the sparrow to fall? Or is God simply aware that the sparrow is falling? Now, if we just read the text as it is, as it is, it says, "...will fall to the ground apart from your father." Some of you might have a version that says, "...apart from the will of your father." Well, what they're doing is they're, they're translating it how they believe it means. So some translators are saying they believe that it's the will of the father when a sparrow falls. Other translators are saying, "...no, no, no, we're just taking it strictly as what the Greek says when the Bible was originally written. Strictly the Greek says, "...apart from your father." There's no will involved in the original Greek when Jesus spoke it. Well, it leaves you kind of hanging in the clouds here a little bit. Well, which one is it, Pastor? Does God cause the sparrow to fall, or is he simply aware of the sparrow falling? Guess what? It's a mystery. Is God aware of the sparrow falling? Absolutely. I mean, think of this for a moment. Think how intimate God is with his creation. He knows when a bird falls to the ground. You know how many stinking birds are out there? That's how intimate God is with creation. God's not just some far off like, eh, whatever happens. No, he's intimately involved. But did God sit up there in his throne and say, bird, fall? I don't know. I know this, that it doesn't say that he does that all the time. It doesn't say that He causes that each and every moment. I take the position that this, that God is intimately involved and aware of everything in creation, but God is not the causation of everything that happens in creation. But I have to be fair to you today. As your pastor, I have your job to show you what's in the Bible. What's in the Bible is the book of Job. Job is the story of a man in the Old Testament. We don't know exactly when Job lived. We really have no idea at all. Job was a man who faced suffering like most have never seen in all creation. Lost everything, not just money, but physically faced serious suffering. His family faced serious suffering. Lost friends. Serious damage done through um, natural disasters. This man faced it all. Serious suffering. So in the book of Job, which is in the Old Testament, if you want to turn there in your Bible, it's right before the book of Psalm. But if you just take your Bible and go right down the halfway point, you almost get right there. The book of Job, Job chapter 42, Job 42 verse 11. We're at the end of the story of Job. Job has been through all of this suffering and now God is restoring all of the fortunes that he lost. So Job's got everything back, everything's restored. Now Job 42, so they're having a party. Everything's good. Everything's good. They're having a party. Job 42.11 says this, Then came to him, came to Job, all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. All the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. That's what it says. It's clear as a day. The evil that happened to Job Came from the hand of the Lord. Now realize this evil. This was not just like a, hey, I'm going to give you a flu for a couple of days. This was killing. This was, there was robberies involved, there were natural disasters involved. It says right here that that came from the hand of the Lord. I share this with you this morning so we're faithful to the Bible. It says this in the Bible, that the hand of the Lord brought evil. So does this mean then that each time there's evil with us, that it's the hand of the Lord that brings it? I contend no. And here's why. And again, this is an open-handed issue. There's Christians who disagree on this. Here's why I say no. What we're reading is a story, in other words, narrative, about one person in one particular time. What happens to them is not necessarily normative to what happens to the rest of us all of the time. So what I mean by that is this. If you read a story in the Bible, for example, in the Bible there's a donkey that talks. That doesn't mean that every time you go to a farm and spend time with a donkey, that a donkey is going to talk to you. It happened at one time in history, yes. But that narrative is not normative. I would contend that did God cause the evil with Job? Yes. That does not mean that every evil work that happens comes from the hand of God. Now, again, you can work your way into all sorts of problems here. Well, if God's all sovereign, did he allow it to happen? Yeah, he, God could stop any evil he wants at any moment. Well, then some people say this, well, if God allowed it, he could have stopped it. That, I mean, he caused it then. Well, if you want to work it out logically, if you want a God that works logically, yes but the god that's revealed in the bible isn't logical. I mean, there's a virgin birth in the bible. Folks, that doesn't work. Try that when you get home today. Should be laughing. Come on. I mean, that's just not realistic. Okay? Our god is not defined by logic. The god that we know, the creator of the universe is revealed to us by the written word in the bible. Some things have been revealed Other things have not been revealed. We've got to get comfortable with the unknown. There's a bundle of mystery involved in here. God has told us a lot, but there's a lot of unknown. What we need to do is trust what he has made known to us in his word. So, where does that leave us? God is an intimate creator who's involved in his creation, knows every intimate detail at the exact same time. Doesn't necessarily mean that God is out there just causing stuff to happen. If you leave here today and you pull out on a cliff and you take a right turn on red and you hit somebody, okay, that doesn't mean God was caused you to hit somebody taking a right. I don't have strings. Guess who hit that person? You did. Could God have caught, stopped it? Absolutely. He could have drop something down. He could have given you a flat tire before you pulled out, whatever. But that doesn't mean God caused it. There's this mysterious element involved. So God is intimate with creation. At the same time, though, there's an element of mystery of what God's behind and and what God puts his hand in and actually causes. So where are we at with pain and suffering? What does that do for us? Well, first thing is this. It means that God is with us, that God is, is present among us. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is where we get the foundation for how we handle our suffering. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. We know God is intimate with creation. We know that God is present with us through his Holy Spirit, but we still have to go through the suffering. So what do we do? Romans 8 verse 18. but we ourselves who have the firstfruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The Apostle Paul is laying out here how we understand suffering, and the, the main objective is this. Our present suffering. Doesn't compare at all to our future greatness. He said, the words that he's using here in verse 18, he says, worth comparing, the words are actually words of a scale. That it's like he's, he's putting things on a scale and he's saying, the scale doesn't match up. The future glory far outweighs the present sufferings. Maybe some of you have parents have a little trick like this. I'll reveal some of my bad parenting habits. You Knowing your, your kids are just tantrum sitting and like, ah! freak out. What do you do? Hey, you want to go to Target and buy something? That's what I do. Things are going south. What do you, hey, let's go to Target. Because then you go to Target, what do they have at Target? Right when you walk in at Target, and you have to walk in, they got that little conglomeration right in front of the carts where they just got cheap junk for $3 or a dollar. I think their CEO was like, hey, let's put something in the front of the store for bad parents that bring their kids to buy something. So you're having a bad day, what do you do? Hey, let's go buy something at Target. So you go to Target and you're like, hey, pick out something from that little spot right there. Anything. And they're just in their heyday buying something. Guess what? They have completely forgotten about whatever they were having a tantrum about about a half an hour before. And then you ask them about it. What's that? I've got my new little chalkboard that's going to be thrown away in a week. I mean, Just think on the human level, that little moment of greatness overshadows just that horrible whatever they were going through on a much broader scale, bigger than we can even imagine. The greatness that God has for us when we rise from the dead, it is going to swallow up anything we're going through right now. It's going to be so great, that new body you get, guess what? You're not even going to remember the fact that you couldn't grow hair on top of your head. Your new body is going to be so great, you're not even going to remember the doctor visits. Your body is going to be so great, you're not even going to remember that you had so many cavities that when you stick a fork in your mouth, there's like a metal reaction that goes on. Because your new body is going to be immortal. Your new body is going to be unfading. It's going to be amazing. Not only is your new body going to be amazing, but guess what? You're going to be living in a new world called the new kingdom that God's going to bring here to earth when he makes everything right. This new kingdom is described by streets of gold. Why do they use language like that? Just to give us the best human picture possible of how great it's going to be. How great is this new creation going to be? There's going to be lion and lamb laying together. That doesn't happen. What, lion and lamb laying together? They use that image that we understand to give us just a picture of how great it's going to be. We got to get swallowed up with the greatness of our inheritance. We are going to rise from the dead. And when we rise from the dead, there's going to be no thought of, man, I wish God wouldn't have taken me early. It's hard for us. And I, and I don't want to diminish this at all. It is hard when we have to let go of someone early from an earthly perspective. But know this, at the resurrection, there is no second guessing. There is no, God, I wish you would have given me a few more days. None at all, because our future glory doesn't even compare to our present sufferings. So what do we do today? What do we do today is this. We need to meditate. And meditate does not mean sitting going, hmm, bring me something. Meditation is this. Taking a known truth from God's Word, reading it over and over, saying it over and over, singing it over and over, speaking it to friends over and over so it's in our hearts and it's in our minds. So that when we go through that rough patch, The rough patch is going to cause us to what? Weep. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with crying. But that weeping is going to be momentary because we've got something so heavy in us. That something so heavy in us is the promise of future glory. So today, I want to give you two practical things in the midst of suffering. In the midst of suffering, the first practical thing is this. Weep well. Some of you just need to have a good cry. It might sound kind of odd. You need to have a good cry. You have not wept well about whatever's burdening you, the pain that you've gone through. You need to simply find someone and weep with them. Let them know what you've been holding back. Let them know what's been causing the burden or the pain in your life. Weep well to a listening ear. The same time as you're weeping well, what you need to do is this. You need to stay with people. And this is the hardest of all. You need to stay with people. Anytime people go through pain, the first thing we do is this. We draw back. We draw back from people and we seclude ourselves. This is the tactics of the devil. Satan is trying to isolate us because when he isolates us, we'll listen to voices in our minds and in ourselves rather than listening to the Word of God coming through other people. If you're going through pain right now, please, whatever it takes, don't pull away from people. Go to people. This can be hard. Now, don't go to anyone. There's two lessons here for us. One is, are you a person that people can go to? What I mean by that is this. Are you a person when someone comes, do you just share the nice platitudes? God has a plan. Everything happens for a reason. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Guess what? Sometimes we just need to shut up. Don't say anything. What you need to say is something that comes from God's Word if you are going to say something. I'm horrible at this, so don't come to me. That sounds bad as a pastor. This is is a spiritual gift. When it happens, it's a miracle. We need something called empathy. When something comes and is talking, sometimes you just need to say, that's got to be hard. You can't say, I know how that feels. Well, do you know how that feels? That's got to be hard. Wow. I I can't imagine having to travel through that. A little empathy. Be that person that someone can come and weep to, and sometimes it's just this. Here's a little tip. Just say back to them what they're saying to you. I'm really struggling right now with my siblings. Somebody says that to you. Maybe you say back, That's hard to hear that you're having a tough time with your siblings. Okay? What you've done is you've said back to the person, I hear you. This isn't a trick at all. This is listening. This is being people with people. We suffer well when we weep well. We suffer well when we stay with people. We were not created to be alone. So today, if you're going through a difficult time, please pick up the phone and take a step of faith. Allow someone to come in. Even if you don't need a meal, even if you've got enough food and someone says, can I bring a meal over, guess what? You need to accept the meal. You need to say, hey, yes, that would be helpful. Come over. Accept the meal. Accept the person. Today, if you know someone who's suffering, reach out to them. Don't be an overburden. You don't need to call them every day. Hey, how's it going today? Just checking in, see if you make an improvement. Just check in randomly at times. Sometimes just do something completely out of the ordinary, some sort of surprise thing, just to step in and say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Maybe it's a handwritten note. Maybe it's a Starbucks card at work, just dropping it off really quick. Maybe just you sneak over and you, I don't know, wash their driveway. If anybody washes their driveway, I don't know. I think whatever that person values, find what that person values and do something that they value. If that person values a nice lawn, do something for their lawn. If that person values athletics, call them up and say, hey, I got free tickets to the Sky Force tonight. Let's go. Find out what they value and be a person in their life. Two offerings, suffering becomes a roadblock. And we as Christians keep it a roadblock because we don't weep well and we don't stick with people. Let's help each other. Weep well and let's help each other together. When I was in high school, we lived on a small little acreage out in Minnesota in the country. We had a big row of trees right in front of our house, and then the ditch kind of went down like this. And whenever a snowstorm came, if any winds, that road got completely blocked off. The snow would come, and it would just sit right there because it didn't have anywhere to go. That tree line just served as a blockade for everything. So then you couldn't go anywhere. We didn't have a tractor with a bucket or anything like that, so the whole road was blocked. You could have a four-wheel drive pickup, you're not getting through. You have a four-wheel drive pickup with a blade, you're not getting through. The only time that somebody's getting through is this. They brought the tractor with the big honking snowblower on the back. And they would take it, and it was bite by bite. Just a little bit, blow it up, keep it going, da 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 Okay, that roadblock stops travel from coming through. I don't care what you tried, you weren't going to do it unless you had something strong. The suffering and pain that you're going through right now or your family member is going through, it can't be solved by science. It can't be solved by something on the human level. There's only one who can solve it for eternity. It may be able to be solved or band-aided for a moment. There's only one way to remove the roadblock permanently. That's through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ has come and removed the roadblock permanently by coming and living the perfect life, by coming and dying the death that we deserve, and by conquering the grave on our behalf. The roadblock has been removed. Do you want to come and walk on the path and experience joy even in the midst of suffering? The roadblock has been removed. Do you want to stand and say, I will rise? All you need to do You say, Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. The roadblock is gone. Today, as you go forth, go forth and say loudly, go forth and tell your soul every single day, I will rise. In the midst of the present suffering, let the future glory Outweigh the momentary hurt. Let us pray. Everlasting God, thank you for the promise of our future glory. Thank you, O Lord, for the great eternity that you have planned for us. God, I ask now that as we deal with these tough stuff about your supremacy, about your involvement in creation, about the root of evil and the root of hardship, of cancer, of pain. God, give us wisdom. Lord, take my words today, and I, I pray that you'd correct us where we need correcting, and, and God, I pray that you'd keep us grounded in your word. God, remove all of our opinions and ground us in your word. God, I pray now for anyone in the midst of the hardship today that you'd capture their hearts, capture their minds, and I pray right now, O oh Lord, that you'd give each of us the ability to say, I will rise. God, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to live the perfect life. Thank you, God, for having your son die on our behalf. Thank you, God, for conquering the grave. God, thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you, God, for who you are and what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.